kind of a nothing, nothing real deep. Uh, in other words, uh, just kind of using the old statements of faith as a as a guide, as an outline, and uh, and primarily the. Uh, The London Baptist Confessions of Faith, the old Confession of Faith that uh, that we used up in up at the church that I was pastor of in Mansfield. There's some other good Confessions of Faith. The New Hampshire Baptist Confession of Faith is a good one. There's some others. Baptists have always often written down the things that we've believed. We always examine those things in, by, by what the scriptures say. We've been on the subject of who is God, what we believe about God for about, well, this is the fourth lesson, the fourth sermon on that subject. There'll probably be at least one more on there and Obviously, like I said, we won't exhaust this subject. For further reading and study, there have been other books that have been written, but I highly recommend old Puritan book, uh, Stephen Charnock, his book on the attributes of God. More recently, uh, A.W. Pink had written one, on the attributes of God as well. Both of those books are great to help you in your studies of of the existence and the attributes of God. John Gill and his body of divinity has some very good chapters on the subject. Today I want us to look at the power of God and the and the fact that God is everywhere. So we're going to look at the omnipotence of God and the omnipresence of God primarily. In Psalms chapter 62 verse 11 The psalmist here says, God hath spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. God is omnipotent, and that that means, by that word we mean that He is almighty, that He is unlimited in power. Webster in his 1828 dictionary, that's the way he described it. John Gill in his body of doctrinal divinity, he said, Omnipotence is unlimited and unbounded as to power. The fact is we cannot understand God without some knowledge of his power. And while the creation exhibits the power of God, 
Paul said in Romans that even the heathen is without excuse as to the knowledge of God. And we see that as to the creation and the order of the universe. We cannot rightly understand God and who He is without the Word of God. And so as you read the Bible and as you study the Bible, let us always, let us always keep that in mind that as we study the Word of God, let us be doing that so that we may get more that we may become closer to the God of the Word. If we're in the Word of God and we're not learning about the God of the Word, then we're missing the point. Book after book, chapter after chapter, verse after verse, this book, this collection of 66 books is all about Him. And in here, in this psalm, he says, the power belongeth to God. That can only be said of the God of the universe. We see powerful things and powerful peoples and powerful governments in our world today. Is the United States powerful. And yes, we would say, yes, the United States is powerful. Could we say that Russia is powerful? And yes, we would say that Russia is powerful. Can we say, in light of the terrible things that are happening in the Middle East, can we say that Israel is powerful? And yes, we would say that Israel is powerful, able to defend herself. against terrible things that happen. Can we say, beloved, that the devil is powerful? And yes, we, we say that the devil is powerful. But understand, God, God is more powerful. And I brought this out some in the portion on the sovereignty of God. But the, power, the powers of America, the powers of Satan, the powers of Russia, the powers of the United Nations, the powers of all of these, even the powers of the devil, they can be and often are restrained and even will be someday brought down. By who? Almighty God may have to submit to the power of our God, the God of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 18 and verse 4, Genesis chapter 18, in verse 4, Sorry, verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. 
There is nothing that is too hard for God to do in His power. But we must, as we think about that and as we meditate on that and we rejoice in that, we must also realize that God will not do anything outside of His will. And someone says, well, how can you know the will of God? Well, we know the will of God because He's left He's left us His Word. He won't act outside or contrary to His revealed will. We, we often are approached by people who say, well, God has done this or that in my life. And while we would like to rejoice with those people in whatever they're excited about, there are some things... There are some things that we can take and apply to the Word of God. As we apply them, we find that the Word of God is something, something's not adding up, you see. And so, you know, you can, you can, uh, you can hear a, a man say, well, God has done this or God has called me to do this. A man might, I mean, this is an extreme example, but a man might say, well, God has called me to go and to kill my family. And there are some crazy people out there that say those sorts of things, and they give that as a defense as to why they committed murder. How can we judge whether God told him to do that or not? Well, we can judge that. We can, we can see whether it's right or wrong based on the Word of God. God's not going to call you to act contrary to His Word. Something else that's an example. A woman saying she's been called to pastor a church. We know from the Word of God that, that, that she's not qualified. And that that's not right. So there is nothing impossible for him to do within the boundaries of his will, within the boundaries of who he is. God cannot lie. He will not not create something that he can't lift, you see. He will not... You ready for this? He will not save a person and then later decide that he's done with him and throw him into an eternal hell. You see. It's against his will and his promises. I can stand on that based on the word of God. There are several ways that God has demonstrated His power. And so let's look at some of these here in the Scriptures. And the first thing we want to look at is the power of God in creation. And uh, that's the way that the Bible opens up. That's the way that the, uh, uh, the Scriptures are. But we'll not go to Genesis. Let's go to Job in chapter 38. Job chapter 38. 
Beginning at verse 1, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut up the sea with doors when it break forth as if it had issued out of the womb when I made the cloud, the garment thereof, and thick darkness a swaddling band for it and break up for it my decreed place and set bars and doors and said, Hitherto shalt thou come, but no further, and here shall thy proud waves be stayed. Hast thou commanded the morning since thy days and caused the day spring to know his place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth, that the wicked might be shaken out of it. It is turned as clay to the seal, and they stand as a, as a garment. We'll stop reading there, but we could keep going on. But well, what we find here is that, that, that God is powerful in creation. It's interesting to note that in the book of Job, all these questions are coming back and forth from Job, from, from, from Job's friends. You know, Job's friends are talking to Job. Job's talking to the Lord. All these questions are coming up. God speaks finally in his time. That's important to remember when you're going through troubles and trials. You know, God, uh, God doesn't always give us the answers. Um, and, 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 and here, he doesn't answer Job's questions, but he gives Job some questions. Where were you? What's going on here? What's, what is this? Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? I'm going to demand of thee. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? You see, he goes on to ask, where are the foundations fastened? Can you imagine? Fast forward a few thousand years from Job's time to now, and we can brag about all our knowledge. All the things we've seen that Job never saw, but yet, who can answer that question? How is it that this old world, the third rock from the sun, is hung in space the way it is, perfectly? The right distance from the sun so that it's not too hot and not too cold. Spinning every day, every year rotating and all of those things that happens. Never colliding into anything else. 
perfectly, kept in order. How is that? God. It's God. His great power and handiwork. You see, He has placed it there and kept it there by His power. One of my kids asked me the other day, What's my favorite planet? I said, Well, I kind of like the Earth. He said, well, what about the other planets? I said, I don't know. I've never been on any of them, but I'm pretty sure it'd still be the earth. God has made this place perfectly, not only with its placement of the sun, but also as far as life goes. And, you know, NASA and others have been so keen on trying to find life on other planets But it seems like God has designed this place special for for life, for plant life, animal life, and human life. It's no chance, randomness, or anything like that. That's God's power and His wisdom too. But we're talking about power. Psalms 33 and verse 9 Psalms 33 and verse 9. Verses 8 and 9. And look at this. It says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spake... (coughs) Excuse me. For He spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. You and I, we go to make something. It may take us a while to get it done. We take tools, and we need instructions. And we need parts, don't we? We need all the the help we can get. But God made this world, the universe, and everything that there is without without no instructions. He did it without any pre-existing materials. And it didn't take him it didn't take him billions of years, it didn't take him thousands of years. He did it he did it in 6 days. The Bible says that he did it with the voice he said, he, he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. You know, you and I, we've got all this pre-existing stuff. Every time I try to put something together, you know, it comes in a box. I lay it out, I look at the instructions, and I, I know the instructions were made by experts. I know the pieces were made by experts, but inevitably... Inevitably, I'll put something together and there'll be some some pieces left over that probably should have been in there. Or or there'll be some something that I that I put together wrong and I'll have to take it apart and do it over. None of that ever happened with God. 
You know, when he, when he created the animals, when he created the world, when he created... He didn't, he didn't try once and mess up, try it again. Some, some folks believed that. The Cherokee, the Cherokee had a legend. They had a legend about how man came to be. They believed that when God made man, they made him out of clay. God made him out of clay and baked him. And the first time, this is Cherokee legend, first time he burned him too much. And so he tossed that man over in Africa. Second time, didn't cook him long enough, and so he threw him in Europe. By the time he got him right, he was the red man in in America. And so he told him, you can pick wherever you want to live. And so he ended up being in what we now know as North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia. That was their legend of how people came to be and how the different... Different, different uh, peoples came to be. What's that say about God? Well, it says that God didn't know what he was doing when he was trying to make man. What's the Bible say about God? God knew what he was doing the first time. Where did the different types of people come from? Well, we all come from Adam, you see. The Bible the Bible explains all of this. And by the way, when they do the DNA tests and all that, if they did a big genome, uh, whatever they call that thing, and uh, and and they and they went back and they and they and they and they ran the tests and they said we all come from one common ancestor. Well, that's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. The power of God. How did he do that? How did he do? How did he manage to do that? That there's so much variation in people. He's God. He's God. You and I, we pick up a book. Whether it's the Bible, You've, you all have print Bibles. You have books at home, I'm sure. Sometimes those books have beautiful pictures in them and all that. Right away, when you pick up a book, you'll see that there's an author's name on it somewhere. Author's name. That's to be expected. There's words in order. Nobody ever picks up a book and says, Well, I wonder, did this get here by random processes? By chance. No. No, it's not like that at all. This world is a lot more complex than a book. A lot more beautiful than a picture. We know that God in His power made this We see God's power in preservation. 
not only did he create the world, but he preserves it. Psalms 36 and verse 6. Thy righteousness is like the great mountains. Thy judgments are a great deep. O Lord, thou preservest man and beast. Thou preservest man and beast. Isn't it great that we have so much variety in this world of men and beasts, different animals? I'm thankful for that. I don't always understand why we have so many things, especially down here in Georgia. There's so many bugs I've never seen in my whole life. But there's variety there, and God has preserved all these things. It's a fact. It's a fact that there are people out there who say that God created the world and then left it to itself. But had God done that, we would have already been destroyed. We'd have already been destroyed. I believe that. I believe that God in His power, He not only not only has created this world, but he preserves us. And I'm thankful for that as well. Not only do, do we see the preservation power of God in, in man and beast, but also we see the preservation of God in his church. In Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That there is a church meeting today in Popoville, Hortense, Georgia, is evidence of God's preservation power going back all the way 2,000 years. Now, I don't need to show you on a paper documents going all the way back to Jerusalem. Any more than I have to prove to you that I have descended from Adam. In fact, I can look out in this congregation and I can say, you know what? You are descended from Adam and you have descended from Adam and you're a descendant from Adam. And, and I, can, I can look out and I can say, you know, we are all descendants of from Adam. If a monkey walked in here, a chimpanzee, don't get any ideas, Josiah. If you ever have a pet chimpanzee, don't bring it to church. <laughs> but if one were to come in here, I could look and I could say, that is not a descendant of Adam. 
Because chimpanzees did not descend from Adam. And Adam did not descend from a chimpanzee. Like begets like. When a baby comes from its mom, it looks like its mom. When my wife was pregnant with our children, I never worried and got concerned that we might not have a human. We had human babies. And that's evidenced here with my three children. When I look at a church, I can look and I can see a pattern established in the Scripture. I can also see a promise established here in the Scripture. And by faith, I can say that there are churches in existence today who fit that promise. I have, for my own personal genealogy, I've traced my, my heritage back some, some of my lines back to the 1400s, my personal genealogy. The Bible warns about endless genealogies, and I believe sometimes we can get caught up in endless genealogies. It's not, it's not up to me to go out and research the genealogies of every person that I come into contact with, nor is it up to me to research the genealogies of every church that I come into contact with. But I believe by their fruits you will know them. By, their, by what they are and how they act and how they, how they behave and what they are. There are some churches, though, that... that we know aren't right, but we ought to consider these as the uh, as the exceptions and not the rules. The rule is Jesus promised Jesus Jesus made a promise that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. And so we can see the power of God evidenced through His church. And just like in human beings, like has begotten like all the way down to the present age. Had the Lord's churches been large armies, the world would speak of the power of the churches and their armies. But because... Through the ages, there's not been armies. Because we've seemed weak, all the glory goes to God and His power. We can see the power of God evidenced in His Word. The fact that today, and I'm going to go through this very quickly, But the fact that today that you have a Bible in your language is evidence of the power of God. Go back. Go back through history. And you'll realize that just like like it was with the churches, 
So it is with the word of God. There have been countless attacks against the word of God. And indeed, men lost their lives trying to translate this into English. And the fact that we have English translations available to us freely, that the government's not hounding us yet, at this point anyway, against our translation of the Bible. The fact that we have it is evidence of God's preservation. Everyone from the Roman church all the way down to many governments tried to get rid of it, but it's here, it's here, and we're so thankful. I do want to, I do want to, uh, I'm not going to get as far as what I wanted to this, this morning, but I do want to leave you with this. The power of God today is evidenced in salvation. Are you saved today? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? You know something of the power of God, something precious. You know, we can talk about the power of God in creation. We can talk about the power of God in the church. We can talk about the, the power of God in the Word. But let's bring it down to a level that's very, very personal. power of God in salvation. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We live in an age where people are looking, looking for some, something exciting, something powerful, something, something that visible, I guess. Let me tell you, there's nothing more powerful or exciting than to see how God and does a work in the life of a sinner. When, when God saves a sinner, He is not just making a, a bad man good. He's making a dead man live. Making him, bringing him to life where there was no life. Paul, when he, when he wrote to the church at Rome, he said, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. The one who spoke the world from nothing into something. 
He uses the Word of God to bring a man from darkness, sin and corruption into light, righteousness and grace. Only the power of God can do that. Only the power of God can make the, de- the dead to live again. And you and I, we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. There's not a one here who isn't a sinner. Not a one here who, who is exempt from sin. And the only hope we have is in Christ. This word power is that Greek word dunamis, which is the word that we get our word dynamite from. It's life-changing. Life-changing. The gospel message. By themselves, they're just words. But when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of a person, the preaching of the gospel, man, it is, it is something. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, First Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. He says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. It's through the preaching of the gospel that people are saved. We see the power of God every time that someone is saved. Right before this in verse 17, Paul said, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Praise God, we're Baptists. And, 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 and you know where that word came from. Orig- originally, people called our, our, our ancestors Anabaptists. It's kind of a almost a derogatory name. Eventually, the Anna was dropped off and we were called Baptists. Baptism is important. It's what separates us from a lot of different groups. But understand something. Baptism, though it is important, the gospel is more important. If there's no gospel, there's no salvation. Nobody is saved apart from the preaching of the gospel. And if there's nobody saved, there's no baptism. You've got to be saved before you ever enter into the baptistry. And that's what Paul is getting at. Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Did Paul baptize? Well, yes, he did. But the importance... The message of Paul, the preeminent 
message of Paul was the preaching of the cross. Why? Because that's where the power's at, you see. The world calls it foolishness. They say, what are you doing? Preaching Christ and Him crucified. The Jews thought it was foolish. The, the, the Greeks thought it was foolish. Fast forward to today, 2,000 years later, what do people think? They think it's foolishness. Why? Verse 18, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. People are still perishing. They're still thinking it's foolish. But, verse 18 says, unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. It is the power of God. God will often, and what we get from all of these examples... That, that, uh, from many of these examples that I've shown, whether it's the preservation of his church, the preservation of, of his word, preserva- God often shows his power in ways that the human flesh seems to be the most foolish. I've heard people say, If God wanted to, he could save people who have never heard the gospel. Be careful of speculations and make sure your speculations are in line of the scripture. And the key to that statement is if he wanted to. And we get to the scriptures and we find out that he only saves people through the preaching of the gospel. No one's ever been saved apart from that. I thank God for His great power as it's expressed in many different ways in His Word and evidenced even in our lives. And and if you're saved today, you, you know the power of God in your own life. Being saved and not only saved, but kept safe. If it weren't for the power of God, the grace of God, you'd be lost forever. Many other things we could say about the power of God. But uh, we'll go ahead and stop there. And Lord willing, we'll, we'll look at, look at the, what we believe about God some more next time. But... Listen, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus is your Savior, He is the only hope that you have. As a sinner, speaking to other sinners, I can tell you the only hope that there is, is Jesus Christ. Run to Him. Flee to Him. Find hope in Him. There is great peace and life, not only here, but in the life to come in Him. May God add a blessing to His Word.